Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Well, today we're continuing our journey in Mark's gospel. Last week, we started the beginning of the end. We saw Jesus enter Jerusalem for his last Passover, along with Jews from all over who went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover feast. There they would sacrifice lambs and partake of a meal that that commemorated God's passing over their ancestors that night back in Egypt when they were still in bondage. That thing that ushered in the great deliverance, the great exodus, which was so important to the Jews and what God did for them. The thing that symbolized our exodus out of sin and into a life in relationship with God. Now these folks here that were entering there and and, and saying Hosanna when Jesus went, they had no idea. They had no idea what was actually going to happen that later that week over those next few days. They thought they had an idea, but they had they couldn't they couldn't even begin to imagine what was going to happen. For on that Friday, that Friday that we refer to as Good Friday, Jesus Christ, the true Passover lamb that all of those other lambs throughout history had pointed forward to, would die. And he wouldn't just cover sin for one year. He would pay completely for all sin for all time. And when he was done, he would yell out from the cross, it is finished, paid in full. How many of you ever had a bill where you owed something and you were making payments over time? And then you finally got that, that thing from the mortgage company or you finally got that, that title to the car or something that paid in full. Isn't that a good feeling? Isn't that a great feeling? Well, this week begins with Jesus leaving Bethany up here on the corner, leaving Bethany with his entourage or his, his group, his disciples, Peter and the boys and the ladies that were with him that, that followed along and the, the people in that, in that group that traveled with him. And they go up a little bit over the Mount of Olives. We talked a lot about this last week, about the, the logistics of this and how high the Mount of Olives was and stuff like that. And it wasn't a, the Temple Mount, Mount of Olives weren't huge mountains like Mount San Jacinto or San Gorgonio over there. And so they would make this half-hour journey into Jerusalem, and the last part of it, thousands of people gathered around, and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is from, we said, one of the ascent psalms in David's writings there, that they would regularly cry out and sing as they were making that ascent up the mount towards the temple mount during the high holy days. But they also added something else. They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who sits on David's throne, the coming king. You see, David, their their forefather, the famous king of Israel, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're hoping, and they're expecting that he's going to come, and that he's going to overthrow the Roman conquerors and restore Israel to the greatness that Israel once had. So as I said, some even cried out, Hosanna, blessed is our king. And, And this is kind of a dangerous thing to be doing when you're occupied by a foreign army like they were with the Romans. But as Jesus came down that hill and entered into the city, he simply walked up to the Temple Mount. He looks around the courtyards, and he says, Hey, guys, 
Let's go back. Let's go home. Prayed kind of took longer than I thought. I don't, he didn't say that, but what, for whatever reason, they went back to Bethany. Now, last week, I stopped right there because the Jesus that they got wasn't the Jesus that they wanted. And we're going to see that as this plays out over the coming weeks as we see how we go through that last week in Jesus' life. We spent some time talking about those times in our life where God is God and we're not, and his plan is not our plan. And that causes some, that causes some confusion. It causes some consternation for us. And what do we do when the Jesus that we get is not the Jesus that we want? What they wanted addressed was the relatively, temp- it had been many, many centuries, but it was the rel- relatively temporary problem of excessive taxes and occupation by foreign armies, by oppression, by them not being able to fully practice their religion and, and run their own affairs. A lot of really bad things in their lives that they wanted fixed, but they had no idea that something bigger was the reason that Jesus came. Something far more important than worrying about the Romans that kind of stuff. You see, he solved their great and their true problem, our great, our true problem, a problem called sin and separation from God for all eternity. And today we pick it up with the second day of that week and the first part of the third morning we'll look at. I want to welcome those who are listening to us on our podcast or online. And, and if, you, if you want to get the previous messages, those are, that are just getting back or haven't been listening online, you can find them on there. If you don't know how to get the podcast or listen, just let me know. I'll be glad to, glad to show you. I'm humbled and shocked at the traction that we've gotten on the podcast. The 12 months from last February back, we had almost 12,000 downloads of the messages here at Sky Valley. The, the messages on podcast are actually reaching people more than the people that are sitting here, or else you guys are just listening to them 10 times each over. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. But, but we're thankful for that, for, for God getting the word out. And I know a lot of our Canadian people last year would email me and tell me, hey, well, we're glad we can keep up with the teaching there at Sky Valley while we're up here in Canada and can't make our way down. Eh? Isn't that a great thing? So I want to tell you what we're going to see as we read this passage so it'll make a little bit more sense to you when we do read it. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. The crowd has praised him, but he wasn't the Jesus they wanted in terms of what he did and what he's going to do. He looks around, he heads back out of the city, as I said. And the next morning, as they're taking that half-hour jaunt back over the Mount of Olives, as they walk up the hill and down the other side in Jerusalem, Jesus is hungry. I can relate to that, okay? Those of you that see my food posts on, 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 on Facebook, you know I get hungry and I enjoy eating maybe a little bit too much sometimes. I've got to trim down some for our daughter's wedding in, in, uh, in January, so hopefully I can make that. Be praying for me there. <laughs> I couldn't resist, though, this week. I found a bakery in Orange County, a 24-hour bakery that had maple bars with bacon on top. And I had to have one that night, and I brought a couple home. I tried to tempt my wife and get her to eat one because her daddy's favorite was maple donuts. And to date, she hasn't eaten the maple bar that I left, that I have at home for. And if she doesn't, I surely will not let that go to waste. (laughs) Well, Jesus is hungry. And so he he sees a fig tree. And he goes up to it because there's leaves on this fig tree. And it's not the season for figs, but there are leaves there, which means that there's leaves there you should be able to have an expectation of fruit. So Jesus checks it out, and he finds out that the fig tree is barren, and he ends up cursing the tree. He says, 
may no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples hear this, and they're going like, whoa, what's that all about? And so they continue into the city, and Jesus heads to the temple. And when he gets to the temple court, what he finds there is a bunch of people that are selling doves and, and lambs to be used in the sacrifices. And they're exchanging money because you had to pay the temple tax in the temple currency. You couldn't take your regular Roman currency or the currency that was used throughout the realm and use it. You had to have this special currency. And any of you ever been to a foreign country or gone somewhere and you had to exchange money? And what happened there? Did you always get par? No, usually there's another tax there that you have to, have to pay as you're exchanging your currency. And so these animals that you had to use, the animals had to be used in sacrifice. They had to be certified by the priests as fit for sacrifice. You could bring your own animal to, you know, you could carry, you know, the 30, 40 miles from your house there, you know, try traveling with a lamb on you or, or whatever. And, and you could do that and all, but you take some risk there because you're counting on when you get in there that the priest is going to say this is an okay this is an okay animal for you to use for the sacrifice. When the priest and his buddies have animals there, they're trying to sell for the sacrifices. So you can see where that goes. And yeah, some of them were corrupt. And so it was risky. And so when Jesus comes in, he overturns the tables of all these people who are doing business there because this, this place had turned into like a bazaar or a flea market. And I don't know about you, but I've been in some of these Middle Eastern markets. Uh, some of you guys and the gals have been in the military. You may have seen this. And and so Jesus overturns, he rearranges the furniture, so to say, and he doesn't allow anybody to come through that has stuff for sale. He basically kicks them out. And then he picks up a stool and he sits down and he begins to teach. And we've seen this throughout Mark's gospel. We've made a very emphasis, great emphasis on the fact that Jesus came to teach. And if you stop and think about it, what I just described to you, this, this scene, this is pretty radical, isn't it? This isn't the sweet Jesus, meek and mild, and the, in the, in the thing, painting that hung over in my bedroom when I was growing up as a kid. You know, this isn't Mr. Rogers, okay? Jesus was, was upset. He was angry about what was going on. He turns over the tables. He kind of freaks everybody out there, but no one dares stop him. And we're going to see in next week's message that he does more teaching, more, and then he comes back and continues teaching throughout that week. Mark tells us, he's going to tell us here in our, when we get to the scripture in a minute, Mark's going to tell us the people were amazed. And that's one of those, that those words, I've, I've told you before, there's some words that Mark likes using, words like immediately and works like amazed. You'll see them in Mark's gospel. The crowd was amazed with how Jesus spoke and the, the authority that he had and the things that he was doing. And it kind of gives you a hint of why they thought, oh, this must be the guy that's going to come and kick Roman butt and give us back our country. Make us a great nation once again. Well, he does his teaching, evening comes, and again he says, hey guys, let's go back to Bethany. And so they leave. And when the third day starts in the morning, as they're making the journey back over into town, the disciples notice this fig tree that had the encounter with Jesus the previous day, and it had withered up and died overnight. And so Peter said, Rabbi, look, look. And then Jesus turns around, he does a little teaching, and instead of talking about the fig tree, he talks about prayer, faith, forgiveness, that kind of stuff. And then he goes in the temple, and we're going to pick up there next weekend. So I want you to get a, a kind of, a, kind of a, a sense of the passage and its context before we went into it. And before we read, i got just a couple other things I want to point out here. I want us to step back and look at a couple of themes that Mark is aiming at 
when he's trying to, what he's trying to do is he recorded this part of the Jesus story. Now remember that I've told you that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, they're not biographies of Jesus. They're gospels. They're trying to tell the good news about the Savior that has come into the world. Each author has a purpose led under the superintendency of the Holy Spirit, and they've got something that they're trying to accomplish. Luke is the only one that has things that attempts to keep everything in chronological order, and that's kind of probably because he was a doctor, as I've said before. But the others, they're framing, they're framing real events. They're not making up the stories. They're framing real events that they'd heard about or, or knew about, and they're ma- ma- uh, framing these in arranging them in a way to make the point that the Holy Spirit has led them to make. And the big point for Mark is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And I think that's the first fill in the blank on your life notes if you're you're taking notes. Mark has story after story after story in which people have to make a decision. Is he God or is he fraud? And that runs throughout Mark's gospel. He starts out the opening sentence of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he ends it with a Roman centurion there at the foot of the cross saying, surely this man was the Son of God. He punctuates it with the resurrection, which confirmed everything Jesus said he was going to do. This is what Mark's trying to point out. And as he's writing here, he's also trying to get across two things in this section of the gospel. Number one he's trying to get across is that God's judgment starts with the people of God, not the enemies of God. And this is something that we talked about quite a bit last weekend, and if you missed again, you can pick up the podcast. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's uploaded. You know, these folks all expect Jesus to come in and start judging those people, the bad guys. And instead, he comes in, and what's the first thing he judges? His people and the temple. Not the evil Roman Empire, but the evil that's happening in the temple of God. We're going to see that in a minute. There's a second thing that's going on here, and you'll see it in this section, is that when the image doesn't match the reality, God's judgment is not far behind. When the image doesn't match the reality, or the reality doesn't match the image, God's judgment will follow. And we've got a series of those things in this passage. When the crowd is crying out, as we looked at last week, when they're sitting there crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who's going to sit on the throne of David. Hosanna is is, is the king of Israel. They're calling Jesus a what? A king. They're calling him a king. That's the image. That's what it looks like. But in reality, they don't want a king. They don't want the king that Jesus is there to be. They want a king that's going to be fit to their mold, that's going to serve them and meet their needs, that's going to meet what they think that they're supposed to have. And that's why a few days later, they're crying out, crucify him, which when given the, 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 the choice between Jesus and Barabbas. Mark is pointing this out. Then there's the fig tree that we have in today's scripture. This fig tree is boasting with the false advertisement of leaves that are saying, hey, I have fruit. And Jesus goes up to it, and you have an image without the reality. And so the tree is cursed. And then Jesus goes in the temple, which is supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations, a place where where even those that don't know Jehovah, those that don't know the God of Israel, can come and get close, and it's turned into nothing more than a a bazaar, than a a marketplace, a place where where, where, where just the the, the seeking of dollars took, took precedence over people that don't know God, people that are outside of Israel can get close 
to God. And so that's why he overturns things. So this, this underlying current of what we claim to be does not match what we're going to be judged by. It's going to, we're going to be judged by what we really are. And we're going to see that in our application later this morning. We're going to talk about God's judgment and the things that we need to understand because we're not going to be judged necessarily as we think or we would wish to be or we would assume to be. Scripture's real clear about how the judgment occurs, and we're going to look at that. So with that background, let's go ahead and go, go to Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 12. We're going to read the passage. It says, The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now let me pause there and point out that many times in the Old Testament, word pictures and, and metaphors and, and symbolism is used. For example, in, in, the, in the 23rd Psalm, what is the, what is the metaphor that, that's used there about the Lord? The Lord is what? My shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We're going to look at one next week where Israel, about Israel being the Lord's vineyard. That's going to be a next week's message. One of the images that was used in the Old Testament about Israel was also Israel as a fig tree that God has planted and cared for. So when, when folks who were Jews and had a background understanding about Judaism in, in the first century, heard this story and saw what had happened there, they would understand what was going on here, what was being talked about, that this is a symbol of Israel, something, something that should have had fruit but didn't. It tells us in verse 15, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he what? What's the next, that next word there? Taught them. Remember, we've been talking about this all through. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for whom? For all nations. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 56 and from Jeremiah chapter 7. He says, but you've made it a den of robbers. Now, I want to take a couple minutes here. I want to, I want to help you understand why Jesus was so ticked off here. Because a lot of people have, well, my Jesus can be angry. And like, yeah, he was angry. And there's a good reason that he was angry. There's a good reason that the heart of God was grieved over what was going on there. And in order to do that, we need to understand the layout of the Temple Mount. And Chris, go, yeah, go ahead and put that up there. We need to understand that the temple itself, the temple itself, you see that there in the middle, this is the temple mount, and there's, there's, this, um, there's the walls there, the, the western wall is the only wall that's still left, the Shoshan gate here is on the eastern side, and that's the gate that Jesus would have uh, gone in through uh, from Bethany. But the temple itself was only 90 feet long by 30 feet wide and 60 feet tall. It wasn't huge to, you know, I've, I've been to St. Peter's in, in, in Rome and to other places and seen much larger places of worship and stuff. It was incredibly beautiful, but it wasn't necessarily all that big. Inside of the temple itself there, you had the Holy of Holies. That's the place where the priests went once a year at this time of the year, Passover, with the blood of the Lamb for, for, for atonement. 
And, and they make the sacrifice there uh, for, uh, and put the blood before the Ark of the Covenant. And that sacrifice was to provide forgiveness for sins, if you will. So it's it's kind of like, like an interest payment, okay? The principal was still due in eternity, but that was kind of like the interest payment. There's a balloon payment due in eternity. And Jesus is going to come that week, and he's going to make the full payment. He's going to pay it off. When he, and that's why he says, it is finished. It's done. Paid in full. Well, when God spelled out how to build the temple, he said outside the Holy of Holies, you'd have the holy place, and then it'd go out kind of concentrically there. You would have other places. You'd have, you'd have the court of, the, of, of Israel, where, where, or actually the court of the priests, where the priests could go. Then you have the court of Israel, where men could go, but women couldn't go. Then you have the court of women, where women could go. Okay, so you got these, these places. And then on the very outside, you can see it says Gentiles courtyard, this big area. Notice, it's a pretty big area there. God's intent was that was where people who were seeking God, people who were drawn to God because of what he saw being done for Israel, they could come there and could get close. They, they couldn't go into the courts where the, where the Jews could go. And there were actually signs, there were actually signs there that warned them that they couldn't go and find, they could be killed if they went into, that, into the areas that were only for the, for the Jews. But the Gentiles, the closest they could get to God was that, because the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Now here's what you need to understand. You know, you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles, and by the time of Jesus, we pretty well can know, see that the Jews really didn't want a whole lot to do with the Gentiles. They wouldn't eat with them, they wouldn't hang out with them, but that was never God's plan. All the way back to the, all the way back to Genesis, when all this stuff started, when, when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and told Abraham, I'm going to create of you a new nation. I'm going to create of you a new people. And out of that nation, I am going to bless all the nations of the world. All the nations of the world. The Messiah, the one that would pay for our sins, would come out of Israel. But he wanted his people to be an example, a positive example, to love the other nations, to bring people in and bring them towards God. And this is where the court of the Gentiles is where they could, they could get close to God. He wanted to bless all humankind, all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and do it through the Messiah. So this temple, you had the court of the Gentiles, and the original purpose was the Gentiles come in there. But what had they done? When they needed to set it up, oh boy, let's see, where should we have our, our flea market? Where should we have our church bazaar? Let's do it there. Look at all this, all this place. And the Gentiles, they're not important anyway. And so that's why they did this stuff there. And what did that do? That basically made it harder or impossible for, 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 them, to, for them to come. You know, they, they, they made it a place to, to make money, and it was full of commotion and, and craziness. And the Lord's concern wasn't that they were selling something. He was concerned about where they were selling it and what their motivation was and what they were doing with the byproduct of them using the court of the Gentiles. And I can guarantee you that with all this hustle and bustle and stuff going on, that I don't think there were a whole lot of Gentiles moseying in there and saying, oh, let me get close to God. Let me come and pray here so that I can worship the God of Israel. And so God's intention had been totally destroyed. And this is why Jesus went off on them. This is why Jesus upset everything, rearranged the furniture, and said what he did. You've made it a den of robbers. Verse 18 continues. It says, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, 
they went out of the city. They went back to Bethany. And it says in verse 20, In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, on the back of your life notes is, is a section that says, here comes the judge. And I want you to take that, turn, flip it over there, and, and, and take, take a look at it as we look at a few things here about the judge. Because I want us to understand, in light of what Mark is trying to help us see, that false advertising, uh, we get judged by the reality, not the image, and that it starts with us, the people of God. And this would be a good time for us to step back and look at this judgment of God. So let's look at six truths at how we'll be judged. The first one, number one is this, is Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our judge. It says in John 5, 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. When it comes to final judgment, it depends on what you've done with Jesus. Jesus is whom we're judged by. And that's either really great news, or that could be bad news, depending on how you are, your relationship with Jesus. Would you agree? If you're a follower of Jesus, I can think of nobody that I'd rather be, be judged by than, than, than be the one that I follow. But for those who say, well, you know, I, I really can't do that Jesus thing. You know, I don't, I don't need Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I don't have anything to do with Jesus, etc. Well, you know what? That becomes a problem when it comes to eternity. And that's why Mark starts and ends his gospel with, folks, you need to make up your mind. Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? And it's a big deal. And this is not just a big deal to those of you that can hear me right now or on the podcast. It's a big deal to your neighbors out there. They need to understand this. They need to be given the opportunity to understand the gospel, to understand why they need Jesus. Secondly, we, meaning true Jesus followers, we will be spared from wrath. And it's because of the blood of Jesus. We'll be spared from God's judgment when judgment comes. And you might want, you could write down the word uh, wrath. You could also write down condemnation there. In Romans 5, 9, it says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We're saved because of him. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Paul writes this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. How? Through Jesus, through Lord Jesus Christ. The thing I want to emphasize here is that it's, it's important to get both sides of the coin, is that if you have, if you've stepped over that line to follow Jesus, then your sins have been completely forgiven in the eternal sense. You don't have to work to be forgiven by God. You don't have to work for God's favor. You know, it's not that it's not, Jesus didn't just take you up to the one yard line, set you there in the red zone, and okay, now you've got to push the ball over the goal line. That's not how it works. It's finished. It's paid in full by Jesus. Number three in how God judges us. Calling myself a Christian doesn't make me a Christian. If I go over to Home Depot tonight, and I go into the garden center there, and I rearrange all the tags. If I go over there tonight and I take all the tags and rearrange them, guess what? The plants are still what they are. A cactus is still a cactus. A palm tree is still a palm tree. We kind of have an idea, and it's, got, it's kind of gone to seed in our, in our society now, where you can just say, well, I want to identify as this. I want to identify as a cactus, and when I'm really a palm tree or something like that. Now, I'm, that's, that's a whole other application 
okay? You know what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about people just saying, well, I'm a Christian. And, and I've run across people say, well, I'm Christian uh, because I know I'm not Buddhist. I know I'm not, um, I know I'm not a Jehovah Witness. I know that I'm not whatever. I'm not, I'm not a Muslim. And I, oh, yeah, so I must be by default. Oh, I was born in America. I must be a Christian. Or my favorite back when I was in the military, you know how many Baptists I met that had never been in a Baptist church in the military? Because, you know, they knew, they knew they weren't Methodists, they weren't Lutheran, they weren't this, they weren't that. And I'm just, I'm a Baptist. Sometimes some, some people just make an emotional nod to God. Just making an emotional nod to God doesn't make you a Jesus follower. You know what makes you a Jesus follower? Get your pens out, because this, this is a very profound truth. You need to, it's a deep truth. You need to understand it. You need to be able to explain it to other people. You know what makes you a, a Jesus follower? You follow Jesus. <laughs> you follow Jesus. If I call myself a Jesus follower, but I don't follow Jesus, you know what I am? I'm a deceived fool. I've deceived myself. It's not what I call myself because I was born into some family or I was born in a certain country or all my friends are doing this. I have to ask myself, am I following Jesus? And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfection. The Bible teaches that. Yeah, there's a standard, but it's not. I mean, if, I take, if I take five steps forward and three steps backward and the next day two steps forward, it's the tenor of, of, of my life. It's, 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 it's how things are, are going. That's what it's looking at. And, and you know, it's, there's a sense of following Jesus. And some people, you know, it's like they got the idea, well, I got my fire insurance, so to say. And thank you for the salvation, Jesus, but I'm going to stay right here where I am for the rest of my life. Jesus, Jesus isn't through with you when, you when you embrace him as your Lord and Savior. He's not there. He's just beginning with you. You know, every one of us, every one of us who are Christ followers should have a little sign on our, on our head that says, under construction. Because none of us have arrived yet. I've met some Christians that think they've arrived. I think they're better than everybody else. And I, you know, I had a professor once that told me, well, you know, there have been days when I don't sin. I'm like, I, I still don't believe him. He's with Jesus now, and hopefully he's getting straightened out. It's theology. <laughs> Jesus can't give you the, you, you, don't, you can't get the key to, to, to get off a death row and then just still, st still stay, in, stay in, the, in the cell sitting on death row, okay? You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to walk out of that cell. You're going to follow him for the rest of your life. Because if you don't, that's not a follower of Jesus. Look at 1 John 2, 3 and 6. It says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live must walk as Jesus did. Jesus said, you want to show your love for me? Obey my commands. Obey my commands. Do you ever have your kids be disobedient? Say, I love you, Dad. It's kind of, kind of hard. I want my kids to obey me. I wanted my kids to do what I, what, I, what, I, what I wanted them to do because I had their best interest at, at heart. And, and the reason I wanted them to do certain things or not do other things is because I've been down some of those roads, and I don't want them to go down the wrong trail that I went down, okay? We become a Jesus follower because we step over that line and we follow Jesus. Number four about how we're judged. Judgment always starts with God's family, not his enemies. But that's not as we, we talked about this a, a lot last week. So if you want real deep on this, you've got to get last week's message. And we talked about a little bit at the beginning of this week's, this week's message. It always starts with God's family. But, you know, we always want, we like to see other people be judged, not us be judged. But again, I think I said last week, Jesus warned us about that. 
with the measure that you judge, you're going to be judged. He's going to start, start here. Started in, in God's temple here. Number five, we'll be judged by our actions, not our theology. Now, I'm not saying that theology or what we believe about God is unimportant. It is important. It is important. But there's some people that go to seed on this, and then you need to grasp this, that the problem is if we're not careful, we can think that what God is looking for is great biblical knowledge. Most of us, would you agree, most of us already have more knowledge than what we're following, than what we're obeying? Guilty. Guilty here. God's looking for obedience. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they had great biblical knowledge, but they had poor biblical practice. Jesus told them, yeah, you guys know the letter of the law, but you're ignoring the weightier parts of the law, like, like mercy, like compassion, like justice. That's why you killed the prophets. That's why they killed Jesus. They're more worried about being correct and all of this stuff and what they believe the, the Scripture teaches rather than understanding what the God of Scripture was teaching them. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day are the spiritual ancestors of today's legalists. Never find your confidence in your knowledge. Never find your, knowledge is important, but never find your confidence in your knowledge. We don't take a written test to get into heaven. It's a blood test, the blood of Jesus. And when it comes to rewards, it's not a theology test. It's an obedience test. Bible knowledge is important, but it's important so that we know better in order to obey better. Lastly, number six, Jesus is on our side. Notice we're beginning and ending here with Jesus. Jesus is on our side. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is also our advocate. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, okay, see, perfection isn't, isn't expected. We, we, we do it, but John's saying, we do this so you won't sin, but if you do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have a defense lawyer. We have an advocate. And this is so cool because Jesus is the judge. He's the jury. He's the defense lawyer. Isn't that great? It can't get any better than that. It's not some trick question or trick Trick test. Do you ever have a, have a teacher that gave you a, a trick test? That, you know, one of those tests. I remember having one test once where teachers handed out the test. The test, you know, and, and what, what do I do? You know, over to I just want to start just writing it on. And the teacher said, I kind of missed the part where the teacher said, read through the entire test before we begin. Anybody ever see that test? Any of you teachers out there ever give that test? <laughs> Cruel people. Well, the last thing at the bottom of that test said, don't write anything on this test. <laughs> it's a trick test. Look, folks, that's not God. God isn't trying to trick us up, okay? I, yeah, I want you to walk out of here with an understanding that, that it is a test, but it's not a trick test because we've been given all the answers. And those of us that know Jesus, we have the answers in order not to keep it to ourselves, but to, to give it to other ways. You know, this is a collaborative type thing. You can tell other people about the test. You can tell other people the answers to the test. But some people are going to, they're going to do that. They're going to get in. The teacher's going to say, this is going to be on the test. You ever have a teacher that, you know, they, this is going to be on the test to try and let you know, you know, kick the podium. If the teacher tells you it's going to be on the test and you don't write it down, you don't pay attention to it, don't complain later when you get an F on it, okay? He's on our side. He is our judge. But how we live does matter. How we live matters. What a story. 
for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day. Oh,